Sometimes it feels like the sun will never rise, like the birds will never sing. That's right. When you don't know what to do, just keep on breathing. Welcome. Broadcasting from Huntington Beach, California, and New York City from coast to coast. I'm Dave Nassani, the Caregiver's Caregiver, on the Caregiver Day radio show, coming to you live from the syndicated all-positive talk radio network, HealthyLife.net, broadcast in all 50 states and 135 countries with my lovely co-host, Adrian Gruberg from thecaregiverspace.org from, that's right, thecaregiverspace.org. Hi, Adrian. Hi, Dave. <laughs> and just a reminder that that and all our shows, including this one, are available on demand at healthylife.net and our membership website, caregiverdave.com. And we're proud that the Caregiver Dave show was voted number one caregiver podcast in the top 50 on Player FM, one of the top six best podcasts by caring.com as well as being voted number three out of thousands of caregiver podcasts on Feedspot. And if you go right now to caregiverdave.com, you can get my first book about overcoming unbelievable hardships absolutely free, as well as take our burnout quiz. So do that uh, right after the show so you don't miss any part of this show. And we do have an exciting show planned for you today. Uh, we will be interviewing New York attorney Michael Kaplan, talking about legal tips for medical malpractice cases and the caregiver's role in all of that. But first, I want to take this opportunity to thank our last uh, guest, which was Dr. Aaron Blight, Plan for Aging Well. And again, you can watch or listen to all of that stuff on HealthyLife.net and our membership website, CaregiverDave.com. All right, enough of that. For 30 years, I'm sorry, erase that for 30 years. <laughs> <laughs> uh, injury law firm, Deke. Caro and Kaplan, located in New York, representing victims of traumatic brain injury and other injuries caused by vehicle collisions, pedestrians, uh, unsafe buildings, uh, construction sites, medical malpractice throughout the nation. Michael is a board certified as civil trial advocate and board certified, certified in medical malpractice litigation. He's a professional lecturer in law at the George Washington University Law School, The Legal Aspects of Traumatic Brain Injury, and chairs the New York State Traumatic Brain Injury and uh, Services Counseling Coordinating Council. Well, I messed that up. Anyway, Michael, welcome to the show. So excited to have you on. Well, thank you, Dave. It's a pleasure to be with you and Adrian today. Thank you. And, and I can proudly say that I've spoken at the New York uh, City Bar so I don't know if you've ever spoken there, but that's the closest <laughs> I've ever gotten to being an attorney. But uh, it was fun, <laughs> and I was talking about caregiving. But uh, let's let's get going. You know, I like to ask my guests uh, the first question, who is Michael Kaplan, and why was he put on this earth? How about that? Well, let's hope that I was put on earth <laughs> so I could help people. And I'm proud to say when I walk into a courthouse that I'm your attorney. Um, and I'll be fighting for you every every time I walk into that courthouse and before I walk into that court, courthouse to see that we can get justice for you. Because as you said in our conversation earlier, I'm a cowboy. Um, and <laughs> I'm a gunslinger. And um, oh. I'm hospital's uh, worst nightmare. Yes. And I'm building owner's worst nightmare. Uh, and I am the worst nightmare to anybody who is not exercising care or caution and putting profits over people's safety. Wow. Yeah, I was telling you beforehand, uh, I'll just briefly mention it for the sake of our audience, that my wife had a stroke and uh, the ambulance drivers decided to take her to the closer rinky-dink community hospital that didn't even have a CAT scan machine. Rather than go 10 minutes further and take her to the Providence Medical Center. And as a result, uh, you know, they missed the three-hour window, had brain damage, she lost her speech, became paralyzed on one side. And we've been dealing with it for 24 years. 
And uh, before the year was up, I sought an attorney, and none of them would touch the case except some cowboy, like you mentioned, uh, probably similar to you. And he went and did some interviews and realized that they they had a suspicion that this was going to be litigated because they had gone over the records and everything was meticulous, and they crossed their T's and dotted their I's, which is unusual. Uh, and he found uh, that none of the doctors would testify against uh, the one that was the culprit, of course not. which uh, I guess is pretty typical. So he says, you know, I'd love to help you, but I just can't get any witnesses to cooperate, and they knew we were coming. So what do you say about that? Is that common? Well, yeah. It's common, and it's unfortunate, but we do have ways to work around that um, in, in my practice because a, a great deal of what we do is medical malpractice, and a great deal of what we do is traumatic brain injury work. We're familiar with doctors around the country. And while if I have a local case, I might not be able to find a local physician to testify against another local doctor. And that, that really is understandable. Right. Um, I can go out of state um, to find a professional with the, with the right expertise to do it. Um, and, and these records, although the, the record is a patient's best friend, it's a legal document. Um, there's nothing to say that, that sometimes these records are not altered, unfortunately. But today, it's more difficult to alter a record after a fact because um, we are now in the com computer age. And there's something attached to electronic medical records, all electronic medical records, called an audit, A-U-D-I-T trail. And this audit trail when you get it, it's, 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 it's a physical document that's printed from the computer system of the hospital, required to be kept by federal law, allows me to determine if changes were made to that electronic medical record, who made those changes, when those changes were made, and where they were made. You can't any longer erase a medical record because what was there will always be there in this audit trail. And if a doctor says, well, I didn't see a patient, came later, or I did see a patient, and this is what I found, I could actually go to that audit trail and see if the doctor accessed the patient's medical record, and I actually could see where he was or she was when, he, when they did it, what terminal they used. And if they tell me that they looked at an MRI scan or a CAT scan, well, that record, that audit trail record will let me know whether or not that's true. Right. And, and if there are warnings, these, these electronic medical records are very different than a traditional medical record. They time when medications were actually not only ordered, but when the nurse takes it out of the tray to give it to a patient. We know exactly the time it was taken out of the tray. So let's say a doctor ordered a medicine at 1 o'clock in the afternoon and expected it to be given right away, and it wasn't given until 5 or 6 p.m. Well, we were able to see that from, from this document. So in short, this document has changed the playing field in many respects, um, and we, we could learn a lot um, if these medical records were altered or changed from that document. Well, so this good. will supersede any other documentation, any other records, anything? Well, this, this is not a physical record until it's printed out. It's a computerized it's, well, record. Yeah. So you have to, you have to um, get in court order. Well, let's put it this way. You need a court order because hospitals aren't willing to give you this document, even though the federal law says anybody, any patient is entitled to this document. So your listeners, if they were interested in, in their audit trail, they don't need a lawyer to request it. They can request this audit trail on a desk from the hospital. Wow. And if the hospital doesn't give it to them or refuses to give it to them or delays give it to them or tries to charge a lot of money to get it, well, they could file a complaint with the Civil Rights Division of the United States Department of Justice. And those forms are right online, enabling them to get those records. Well, you know, our audience are burned-out caregivers, 
And um, I wondered what role does the caregiver have in understanding, you know, per injuries and uh, personal litigation and, and uh, finding a good attorney? Well, they have many roles because um, I represent, in reality, two patients, two individuals. I represent the person who was primarily injured in the, in the accident, in the traumatic event. But I also represent their spouse. I represent their mother or their father. And I have two clients at all times. And unfortunately, while the medical profession sometimes doesn't think of you as a spouse, as a caregiver, as a patient, and it ignores you in, in many respects, um, your attorney shouldn't. Your attorney shouldn't for a number of reasons. Um, I'm glad someone is paying attention to us because we often do get ignored. <laughs> oh, I, yeah. I know that. I know that. And, 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 and here's the reason why an attorney, a competent attorney, won't ignore you. They won't ignore you for the practical reason that you possess a lot of important information about your loved one, whether it be a, a, a child or, or a spouse that I will need in order to properly prosecute his or her case. I'm going to need to know an awful lot about their background, their experiences, their work history, what they did in their spare time, what life was all about because a lawsuit isn't only for something called pain and suffering it's also about something known in the law as the loss of the enjoyment of the pleasures and pursuits of life in other words not the pain that was caused by the accident but what was taken away from you right as a result of the accident and what was taken away wasn't only taken away from that individual injured individual in many respects it was taken away from you as well because you shared a life with your spouse so it's important to have these discussions in order to to really present the full picture of what this case is about but but there's more than, more than that you um your role has changed as a caregiver you are no longer a spouse or a parent. You're now a nurse. You're now a homemaker. You're now a housekeeper. You're now an aide. Uh, you, you have taken on all these different roles that you didn't ask to sign up for, but yet you voluntarily do. Now, there is an economic value to that, aside oh, from yeah. the emotion, an emotional value to that, that the law recognizes. If you didn't do it, someone else would have to do it. You would have to go out and find someone and pay someone to do that. And that, as you well know, is not inexpensive because yeah. you need to get a quality person you might need someone seven days a week. You might need someone 24 hours a day. Um, you have to pay that person a salary. You have to pay that person fringe benefits. You have to make sure if that person is not available that there is someone else available to take their place. It's very involved. It's very costly. And there is a true economic value to that that we will retain an economist to determine for us. And that well, these, are all, these are all great points, uh, Michael, but I want to back up to how do we find the attorney in the first place? I mean, I remember when I was looking for one, I mean, where do I start? You ask a few friends and maybe they know uh, people, maybe they don't. There's so many different fields of attorney. You know, you need a, a personal injury attorney, right, or a, or a medical malpractice attorney. They're, they're different. And um, so you look on the Internet and you get, you know, 10 attorneys, you call all 10 of them and they all promise you the moon. How do you decide who? Because once you make a decision and you realize it's the wrong decision, oh, man, that's a nightmare. The nightmare, but you can always change that decision. So let's start with that. If you're not satisfied with your attorney, the law always gives you the right to retain a new attorney. Um, so, so how do we find them in the first place? 
Well, you're going to have to sit down and you're going to have to do your homework and you're going to have to interview that individual. You're going to have to find out what their real skill set is. It's easy to say that you're a personal injury lawyer. It's easy to say that you're a brain injury lawyer. What I do, it's easy to say that you're a malpractice lawyer. But if I would sit down with that individual, I'd like to know how many cases similar to my situation they've handled in the past. How many they I, won? Well, win or loss is important, but it's it's not the be-all to, to, to this because um, I, I have to tell you that I don't win every case, quite, quite honestly. I'd like to say that I've won every case. You're not a Perry Mason, <laughs> huh? Represented somebody, but, but that truly is, is, is not the reality. I could tell you my win record is, win-loss record is a good record. Uh, that I'm proud of, but I couldn't tell you honestly that, that I have not lost lost a case. Um, but the question is, how many cases in this particular area have they been involved in? If you're talking about a stroke, what additional knowledge do they bring to the table about strokes? Have they ever gone to any lectures mm -hmm. to learn about strokes? Do they possess any medical textbooks in their office about strokes? Do they know any stroke? specialist, neurologist, who specialize in this area? Um, have they given any lectures to any bar group in this area? When it comes to, to brain injuries, I, I tell individuals, you want to find out if your lawyer has, is a member of the Brain Injury Association in their state um, to see if they interact with people who have a brain injury so they really understand I can never walk in your shoes, that, that's for certain. And, and I wouldn't pretend that, that I, I, I could, but I could learn an awful lot from being with individuals like you who have experienced things that you're experiencing to learn as much as I can about it. You want to know if they've published any books or articles in, in this area for the legal profession. These are all important questions that you'd like to know about. I, I for instance, have uh, board certified is in the field of professional liability in the field of malpractice. Now, that doesn't make me a better lawyer or a worse lawyer than, than anybody, but it is another credential that I have right. um, to demonstrate my knowledge and experience in this area. Um, so, so these are all important things that, that you um, and your listeners can be discussing with an attorney before they retain that attorney. And you also have to find out, really, um, who's going to be handling the case. The, is the attorney you're speaking to going to handle the case? Right. Or are they going to farm it off to a first-year associate? Um, if there's 100 lawyers in the firm, you know you're never going to get the same lawyer. That's, that's just, unfortunately, the facts. Um, are you saying if, to stay away from the big firms? No, I'm saying that you've got to make sure that your lawyer is the one that's going to be working with you. And there's not going to be telling you to be speaking to one of their associates or a paralegal. I've had that happen with a physician. <laughs> we had a primary physician for in, you know, at, for the out of hospital on, you know, out of hospital care. Then once we got in the hospital, forget it. <laughs> Have to be very careful. Very right. careful. Are you, just out of curiosity, are you licensed in any state other than New York? I'm licensed in New York. I'm licensed in Florida. I'm licensed in the District of Columbia and other <laughs> states where I'm not licensed. I can work with other attorneys and okay. associate them on a case and become co-counsel with them. But in, in a state where I'm not licensed, the other attorney has to have primero primary responsibility for the case. I understand. I mean, right now I'm working on cases in California, in Virginia, in other places with, with, the, with attorneys in Tennessee who, who are licensed <laughs> in that state. And we work together, and, and it's a good yes. relationship that we have. Thank so, you. So these attorneys reached out to you? Say that, Dave? D did these attorneys in the different states reach out to you, or did their clients reach out to you? No, I reached out to them. Be because really? I've been how, did you, how did you find Well, because if, if you would contact me in California to assist you in, in a matter, I would need 
to to work with a California attorney. I so I would have to associate an attorney that I know in in California to to work with. So all these yeah, cases you're with, working on in other states are are attorneys that you have handpicked and hand chosen. Yes. Now in, in other cases, these attorneys or others have handpicked me for a case in New York because they're not licensed <laughs> in New York. You must have quite a reputation. <laughs> well, I, I do. I do. Go ahead. No, I was going to say, I hope it's a good reputation to my clients. <laughs> yeah. And I hope when the other side hears my name, they say, oh, oh. no. <laughs> <laughs> and, and not my cousin Vinny, or maybe my cousin Vinny after he won the case. <laughs> <laughs> Well, listen, uh, we're up on a break, so why don't we take a break, and we'll be right back. Don't go away. One Arm, One Leg, 100 Words, Overcoming Unbelievable Hardships, is about Charlene, a stroke survivor. Back in 1996, Charlene was a healthy, normal, very active 52-year-old woman whose amazing talents resemble that of both a Martha Stewart and a Wonder Woman. But all that changed when she suffered a massive stroke that left her severely speech-impaired and paralyzed on the right side. Who am I? My name is David. I've had the privilege of being Charlene's husband since 1975. We had a wonderful, fairy tale, storybook-like courtship that culminated in our marriage a year later. Charlene had just come out of a marriage where after 10 years, she received two black eyes and a broken nose by her former husband when he came home high on speed. Charlene believed in no second chances of any kind for abuse, so she left. Finding herself all alone in the world with her five and ten-year-old daughters Cynthia Lorraine and Deborah Lynn, she started raising them by herself for the next two years. Then fate brought us all together. After falling in love with Charlene, Cindy, and Debbie, our love then produced Rebecca Elizabeth. We had a wonderful, normal life for the next 20 years. But today, things are very different for everyone. How about the reaction of nine-time Grammy and Devil Award recipient, the godfather of contemporary gospel Christian music, Andre Crouch? Charlene just won't let the promises of God go, and she has not let her circumstances get in the way of her faith. She's not just a survivor, she's more than a conqueror, as the Bible states. You'll be encouraged by her testimony, regardless of what you're going through. Available everywhere. And we're back with uh, attorney Michael Kaplan and my lovely co-host Adrian Gruberg, and I'm Dave Nassani, caregiver Dave. And we're talking about, um, you know, medical malpractice tips and and brain injuries and what's the caregiver's roles in all of this. Um, how can caregivers maintain government benefits after a personal injury settlement? And and why why do we even have to ask that question? Is there danger that if you get a settlement, your government benefits are going to stop because they see you've gotten money from another source? Flush. What's that all about? <laughs> what did you say, Adrian? They think you're flush. <laughs> <laughs> and they all have their hands out. Yeah. Whether it's, whether it's a, a private insurance company, whether it's a Medicare plan, whether yeah, it's Medicaid, yeah. everybody that's an, wants That's another wants issue. More. They all want to be What's reimbursed. Hey, yeah, you got paid for this. And, you know, yeah. so what do you recommend? Because I've tried ignoring those letters, and sometimes they just go away, and sometimes they, they keep bugging you. They're not going to go away anymore. I, I could tell you that. And, and lawyers have to um, be very careful when these letters appear and knowing that a client is receiving Medicare or Medicaid benefits because the law imposes now an obligation on the attorney to satisfy what's known as a lien, if that lien is valid, and the lawyer can be held personally responsible <laughs> if they don't. So the lawyer is going to make sure that the valid, the valid, and let's under, underline that word before we go any further, valid I'm gonna lien holders. I'm going to interrupt because the... The feed was compromised. And well, it was, I it think, was your feed, uh, Adrian. I, I was hearing him okay. So All right. Okay. I want I just wanted to make Thank sure. You. Okay. Sorry. So I, I, was, I was emphasizing that these liens and these lien holders, it has to be a valid lien. 
just because someone asks for their money back doesn't mean that they're entitled to it back. We have to be very careful. And let's break this down yeah. into to three different groups. The first group is the private insurance companies. They might have a, a contract or plan that says they're entitled to their money back, but many states do not allow them to be reimbursed from a settlement. For instance, the state of New York has something known as anti-subrogation laws, which prevents a private insurance company from reaching out and getting money back from you from a settlement of the case. But that doesn't and stop them from many, asking, right? Doesn't Nope, doesn't stop them from asking, and it doesn't stop, unfortunately, people who don't know better from, from paying them back when they don't have to. And even in states that don't have those type of laws or have modifications of those laws, there is a doctrine called the made whole doctrine, which provides that if you had to pay your lawyer and a contingency fee for the work that they've done on your behalf, let's say that's a third, why should the insurance company get a free ride on your back? So let's say that you owe this insurance company $100,000 for the care that they provided, and they want $100,000 back. Well, you have to pay your lawyer a third for, for, for their work from any money that's um, obtained in your case. And you did all Why the work. Why should the insurance company n- not have to pay the one-third for what you might have to pay them back? So we've already knocked down $33,000 from that, right. and they're only going to be entitled to get back $66,000 back. But now they let's didn't go do further. anything. They didn't, they didn't work like you worked on it. Can you reduce it further? Right. But they have a contract, and if the state that you're in says that's a valid contract, then it's a valid contract. But what happens if you were didn't get full value in your case? Let's suppose that you were hit by a drunken driver that had a minimum insurance policy and you had catastrophic injuries. So your lawyer advised you, and, and rightfully so, that this individual has no assets and they might go into bankruptcy. So the best we could do is obtain the $25,000 insurance policy. But you have a case that's worth a million dollars. Well, in your settlement, you weren't made whole. You only received a small portion of what you should have received. So why should this insurance company get 100% back of what they paid, shouldn't they be in the same position as you are and have to take the same kind of hit? And they do. So this is a very complicated calculation that that has to take place. And and let's suppose, though, that in in your case, you, you had catastrophic injuries, catastrophic pain and suffering, Um, And and that was the value of your case, and you had medical bills. Well, why should they be treated on the same footing? So so this is all negotiations that has to take place between your attorney and this health insurance company to try to work this out and pay them back, if you have to pay them back anything, as little as, as possible. Now we go to something a little more complicated, though. And that's Medicare and Medicaid. Because when we're dealing with Medicare, you have one set of rules. And when you're dealing with Medicaid, you have another set of rules. Now, many people, after they've been injured, have no money to pay for care, can't work anymore, have no insurance. And by virtue of their injuries, they become Medicaid recipients. Now you are about to settle your lawsuit, and you are going to get, hopefully, a large sum of money. Now you have assets again. You are no longer eligible for Medicaid because Medicaid is a financial needs test. 
based sure. program. And e even if you don't have a lot of assets, you still have, might have more than the threshold for Medicaid. So many times I, as an attorney, would not be doing something worthwhile for you or a favor for you by settling your lawsuit because you might lose more in terms of that mm -hmm. settlement by losing your Medicaid benefits than you would gain from the settlement. Follow me? So what do you do in that case? Well, now I have to set up something called a supplemental needs trust, also known as a special needs trust, to protect that money from the settlement and keep you eligible for Medicaid benefits. So we'll put that money, we won't give you that money, we'll establish a trust. Your spouse, your parent, your friend, whoever you want can be the trustee of this trust. And the trust document will state that this trust will pay for anything that Medicaid will not pay for or cannot pay for. Medicaid won't pay for Right. Yes. So let's say so let's say you, you've had a stroke. I'm I'm using that as an example because that's familiar sure. to you, Dave. And your spouse needs to be transported in a special van. Okay? Medicaid won't pay for that's that right. van. They won't pay for that, yeah. But the money in this special needs trust can pay for that van. Or if she needs massage because she's getting leg cramps, they probably won't pay for that either. Or if you want to take her on a plane on a vacation to see your children, they won't pay for that either. But is that medically necessary? No. It doesn't have to be medically necessary. It just has to be something that Medicaid won't pay for. Uh -huh. <laughs> You're a clever no. attorney. Listen, yes. let's take another break. Hold that thought. We'll be right back. Don't go away. We are a community of caregivers that understands and supports you wherever you are in your journey. We are a place to connect with other caregivers, but more importantly, a place to get practical, actionable help. There are lots of ways for you to get support. First of all, you can download our welcome pack. This will get you started on your Thrive journey. Next, you can ask and get answers to your questions by posting them here in our private Facebook groups. You can also get live online support by attending one of our live Weekly Connect webinars. You can get practical, actionable advice by listening to our weekly podcast. You can hear and read other stories about other caregivers' experiences. Plus, add your own in our weekly Share Your Story forum, posted every Tuesday in the Facebook group. You can access essential resources and download practical Thrive Solutions Packs, all of which are geared to help you thrive as a caregiver. You get lifetime access to all of our resources. Again, we're here to support you and help you thrive and to enjoy your life as a caregiver. And remember, this is a place to get hope, not just cope. Hey, we're back on the Caregiver Dave Show with, I guess, Michael Kaplan, New York attorney. Very good attorney, I'm learning. And yeah. Adrian Gruberg from the Caregiver Space. So, uh, do you want to? But I don't want thought? to leave you. I don't want to leave your your listeners with the thought that 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 this special needs or supplemental needs trust could pay for anything under the sun. Right. Yes, we it, don't it want can't. to there, defraud the government. There are restrictions, and there is an accounting that takes place. And whatever's left in this trust, at the end of the day, when this individual passes away, has to go back to the government. And before you can create this trust, any money that was paid for the individual's care related to the accident or what you brought the lawsuit for has to be paid first paid back yeah and in the case of the uh, vacation i mean uh, it could be uh i'm gonna say it, it could be a gift from the trust i don't know maybe i'm wrong <laughs> Well, it, it gets complicated, and there have been cases, because I teach this in, in law school, and one of the cases I resort to is, is individuals had a, a family, had a child um, that had significant injuries from birth, 
and um, cerebral palsy. And at the conclusion of that case, a supplemental needs trust was set up so that this child can still receive Medicaid benefits. And the parents decided that they were going to hold a big bar mitzvah for this child and send everybody over to Israel for a big party. That's a little ah, too much. That's Can't too do that. much, yeah. That's, that's, that's a little what too much. What if they did the bar mitzvah at the house and just paid for it's the small still... expenses? Would that have worked or no? Maybe that's going to be up to the court to decide, but that's a little better. <laughs> we're, in, we're in court already? <laughs> you know, you know there's, there's, a, there's a line. But now I talk to you about the last part of that. Which is Medicare, have, which is which is different. I have a question about this supplemental needs trust. Before we go ahead, does that is that available to compensate the caregiver in any way? Um, if the caregiver needs to provide care, yes, that could be that could be part of the the trust. It's important that people know about this trust, not only for individuals who've had a lawsuit. But this is also important for parents or for spouses who have assets who want to protect their loved their one assets. in the event that they pass away for very important estate planning yeah. purposes. Sure. Because these individuals need to speak to a, a trust attorney. That wouldn't be me. That's I retain a trust attorney to do all of this um, for, for my my clients, it's beyond my expertise to be sitting down to draft these instruments. Um, but but if you have a child that, that has a Down syndrome, for instance, um, or if you, if you have a spouse who needs care around the clock and you're getting Medicaid benefits, you don't want to pass away and have your estate pass directly to that individual because, again, they're going to then lose, lose these benefits. So it's very important that in any estate planning, you speak to an attorney about establishing one of these trusts. Yeah. And here's a question. What if you are a spouse care, caregiver and you're an unpaid, you're, you're doing a lot of work and you're not getting paid for it, which is what unpaid family caregivers do. Do, And yeah. then uh, this trust was set up for your uh, loved one. And now you say, well, wait a minute. I can either pay for a caregiver outside uh, for this loved one through the trust, or why don't they just pay me? I'm already here. I'm already doing the work. Uh, can they turn a unpaid caregiver who's a spouse into a paid caregiver out of the trust? I believe the answer to that is yes. I believe the answer to that is because Social yes, Security will will compensate the caregiver to a point, but certainly not what they're worth. Right. Um, okay. Well, that's a good deal. Well, I wouldn't call it a good deal. I think it's an important. <laughs> do point. You, out of curiosity, do you happen to know how much family caregivers save the government every year by paying with, without having to pay them? No, I don't. I'm sorry, I don't. I don't know that. It's four hundred and fifty billion dollars a year. I could believe it. I yeah. can believe it. Yeah. So I think we're entitled to something <laughs> out of all this. Now, what's a what's a traumatic brain injury Medicaid waiver? Okay, that's part of that's part of the Medicaid program. So, what did Dorothy in the Wizard of Oz say? When there's no, no place, place like, home. like home. There's no place like home. That's exactly what she said. So many states have established what's known as a Medicaid waiver program right. for individuals would, who would have to be placed in a nursing home to receive the quality and extent of services mm -hmm. based upon their condition. Or assisted living. Or assisted living. Now, because there's no place like home, the community is the best place for an individual. But when they are at home, we have to get them that same level of care that they would receive in this institutionalized setting. So the Medicaid waiver program says 
that we will waive the requirement that this level of care be provided in an institution and provide these same benefits within the home. And that's typically done now with, with people who have sustained a traumatic brain injury or an acquired brain injury, such as a stroke as, as well. Really? Depending on the state, you can get, you could qualify for Medicaid waiver services and bring this individual out of the nursing home and get the same level of care at home. However, unfortunately, there are limited spots in each state that, that have these programs. Um, so there's a, sometimes there's a long waiting line in order um, to receive now, them. Now, I know they've, the, the waiver programs have been around for around 10 years, maybe longer, but uh, how old is this new waiver program, which, uh, which says we can do it at home? Because the old one was you had to go in a facility. And before no, that, that wasn't a waiver program. That wasn't a waiver program. That just meant you had to go in a facility. The waiver program means that you don't have to go in the facility. Right. Well, Medicaid for many years did not pay for facilities. Uh, you know, that was something you had um, to pay for yourself for long-term care. So they came unless, out with a waiver program that said, okay, we will pay for the facility now. That's been going on for 10 years. But you're saying there's an a waiver program that says not only will we pay for a facility, we may even pay to have you take that person at home right? instead of facilities. I'm just saying how, how long has that part been going on? In New York, it's been going on at least 10 years or longer, maybe 20 really? years. Yeah. Yeah. What were you going to say? I, I was saying that, I mean, mm. Medicaid, you just have to, to get rid of your assets. To be to be or taken to into a facility, yeah. Yeah, well, it's it's hard these days to to, to do that because yes, there's a what they call a look back period of time. Look back period. You have to um, plan. <laughs> you have to you, you have to do proper estate planning very early. Yep. Um, and when and, they're healthy, <laughs> when some yes, because yes, before needed. <laughs> yep. Yep. You, you do, um, and it's all legal and it's all proper, and their attorneys. Uh, again, right. um, not myself because that's what I do. But yes, I, the the area of law is called elder care. Yes, elder care attorneys who specialize. Is it a five year look back, similar to bankruptcy, or is it less? Two years. I, I believe they've increased it now uh, to seven years. But again, I'm hmm, I really I I'm not sure that's because almost this is unreasonable not, because not my area of practice. People can get sick really uh, quickly. You know, one fall and all of a sudden, boom. Anyway, and, and, um, and people look also should think about purchasing long-term care insurance for themselves, uh, because in in New York, <laughs> in New York State, if you purchase that long-term care insurance, even if you need more funds than that long-term care insurance, Medicaid will pay even though you don't meet the the Medicaid threshold for financial responsibility they'll still pay because you've taken it upon yourself to pay these premiums for long-term care insurance mm -hmm. uh, so so there are good tax benefits when you buy one of these policies um, right now and, and there are future benefits I don't sell these policies I'm not an insurance broker so I'm not trying to, to promote them for that reason at all but it's something that people um, as part of their estate planning should consider as well Hey, let's take another break. We'll be right back. Don't go away. Dave Nassani, the caregiver's caregiver, has just released his sixth book entitled It's My Life Too, Thrive to Stay Alive as a Caregiver. It was specifically written for caregivers who know they should be putting their needs first, but just don't know how. Dave is the sole caregiver to his wife, Charlene, since 1996. He knows firsthand what caregivers are going through because he is one. He now speaks all across the country, offering caregivers his amazing caregiver support package. Even the airlines tell us that in the event of an emergency, to put your oxygen mask on first before you help your child with their mask. They know that those who don't heed their advice often black out, thus becoming unable to help either themselves or their child. And caregivers are exactly the same way. It's my life too. thrive and stay alive as a caregiver will help caregivers who are neglecting their sleep, diet, and social life 
and learn to put their needs first. Pick up your copy today or buy one for your special caregiver on sale everywhere and at caregiverdave.com. Hey, we're back on the Caregiver Dave Show with our guest, New York attorney Michael Kaplan. Um, I wanted to ask you about uh, what what programs may be available in the community for brain injury survivors? There are support groups that might be available through your state brain injury association. There are support groups for the individual that might be available um, from the within the hospital network that you're part of, a local rehabilitation facility. Those are excellent. Um, there are day programs for individuals. There are um, rehabilitation if a person needs long-term care that might be available to, to that individual. Yeah. Uh, but, but unfortunately, Dave, the truth of the matter is that there are not enough programs. And the programs that exist, even if they exist, might not be convenient for you because you don't have proper transportation to allow you to get to one of these programs. And um, these programs might not have enough room for everyone who needs them. Or quite importantly, the information is not given to you when you leave a facility so that you're aware that these programs even exist. So when we're dealing with with the area of brain injury, there are so many unfortunate gaps in the system. Um, and when you asked me in the beginning of the show, why hire someone like myself? Because this is what I do. Yeah. And this is what I'm familiar with. And when, when you hire me, uh, you get all of this information and support uh, as part of the package, you don't pay any extra for it, and the different facets. So, so you really need someone who has this knowledge to guide you in a way that uh, that nobody else can or is willing to do. It's all left up yeah. to the attorney to do it. I don't even know if the attorney that I hired was uh, specializing in brain injury or stroke. He probably wasn't. And it's logical to think that someone like you, who was, could have done a better job and could have, you know, not just given up when they says, well, no one's going to uh, testify. Uh, I didn't even know there were different kinds of uh, attorneys for, um, you know, malpractice. But apparently there are <laughs> thousands and thousands of different specialties, aren't there? I mean, am I well, exaggerating? No, you're not. And and as I like to say, who you, who who you hire as your attorney can make all the difference in the world. Mm-hmm. Well, let's talk about COVID nineteen. That's uh, a monkey wrench in the uh, in the situation. Brain injury survivors, brain injury caregivers, COVID nineteen. Not a good COVID nineteen will have many brain. Brain injuries, as subtle though they may be, they will be lasting. So let me first make a let me make a pitch for my website (laughs) www.brainlaw.com, where we have a series of short videos on suggestions for uh, caregivers and others on on working with people with disability, not only brain injuries, in light of COVID. 19 and we, we've produced about 30 videos right now it's called wow. special messages on this particular topic um but and 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 it's a very important topic because covid 19 is very scary and it causes a lot of isolation for individuals and, and a lot of emotional distress and a person under a disability um is having Dave, can you still hear me? Because my screen says yeah. video is about to start. Okay. Yes. Yeah. Yep. Sorry about okay. that. Yeah. So, with, uh, <laughs> the clouds. <laughs> yeah. So, a, a person under a disability 
is faced with many more challenges under these circumstances, and, and many of these individuals are living alone, um, and, and they need someone to check in on them. And, and they need more than that. They they need someone to really sit down and explain to them, for a person, for instance, with a brain injury, why it's necessary to wear a mask. You just can't say yeah. wear a mask. You just can't say you can't go out. You have to really spend some time and explain it to that individual. And you have to check to see if they're following um, th these instructions and, and proper safety precautions, because many times they so just wrong. can't. They, they won't. They're not capable of doing it. Um, so, so they really need someone to supervise them in this regard. Um, so it, it becomes a, a bigger problem for people who are disabled. COVID nineteen. Yeah, COVID nineteen. Uh, hopefully, the vaccines will work and uh, we'll be done with this. I can't believe how quickly the time has gone. We've, yeah. we've run out of time. Um, so we'll just uh, give me that website again, and uh, they can learn more about COVID nineteen on your website, and then how they can get a hold of you if they want to uh, maybe hire you or consult with you. Well, thank you. www.brainlaw.law.com Great. It's a good and, name. <laughs> and Adrian is at uh, thecaregiverspace.org. You could learn all about her, and I'm at caregiverdave.com. And that's that's a wrap for today. Uh, Michael, thank you so much for coming on the show. I learned so much. I'm sure I, I did too. Have also. Well, if Adrian learned, then that's a pretty good thing. <laughs> so until next time, bye bye. Sometimes it feels like the sun will never rise. Like the birds will never sing again